the coaches network bringing the game together like football hasn't changed like this thing called the half space it's a space running it if it's occupied go and run somewhere else like let's not over over complicate coaching hey guys you now listen to the coaches network podcast a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete talent and personal development my name's coach yas and i'm a uefa a license football coach coach developer and content creator I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yass, and today I've got a very special guest with me. My guest today is Steve Salis. Morning, Steve. How are you? Good morning. Very well. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. Steve, um, just before we get cracking, obviously, you know, you know, new guests on the Coaches Network, and, you know, plenty of people out there may recognise you, and some may not. For those that don't, would you mind just going into a bit of detail around who you are, what you do and how you've got to where you got to today? Uh, well, firstly, thanks for having me again. I mean, I've probably said this on about 8 million podcasts and I should probably just have a script of, of what I do. But I call myself a failed footballer on, on Twitter. Um, and Dane, Dave Rainford, who works for the Premier League, always says to me, um, Steve, why do you call yourself that? Like, so that's, that's quite self-deprecating. Um, but I think it's important to know that, like, I work with people that played against Ronaldo in an FA Cup final. So if they can do that, then I'm no, nowhere near them. So I sort of, yeah, my journey really was starting at Brighton. I was there for eight years, got released at 19, went to university. It was the only footballer of my generation traveling the A-levels. So uh, moved to, from Brighton to London at Greenwich, um, did a degree in physical education with, with teacher status, um, really, this was the bit that made me, yes, to be honest, I worked in four failing inner London comprehensives, uh, worked my way up from PE teacher to head of PE, was a head a year, um, uh, assistant head and then a vice principal. So um, the reason I'm, I'm obsessed with strategy in football is because there's a massive gap in strategy, as we both know. Um, and really, that was my skill set. And then um, talk about... Talk about karma, I think, an ex-pupil changed my life. And everyone always says, well, what did he do? And he texts me and he told me about a job at Millwall. And had, you know, I've lived in South London for 20, 25 years. So we always say teachers' jobs are to change kids' lives. But he changed my life. So his name's Chris Ether. He'll like another mention because he always gets pleased when I mention him. But he texts me and he said, have you seen the job at Millwall? And I don't support Millwall. I've never gone down there. So... Um, I applied two days late thinking I've got no hope. It was a time where I really needed a change. I was just finishing my master's degree as well. I was about to go and do my head teacher's qualification. So I was very, very close to, you know, rolling into the education sort of world. And it was a head of education player welfare job as part of the academy management team. Um, and I'll, to be honest with you, if I hadn't, if I hadn't told my current boss at Mill at the time that I wanted to be given free reign to lead my skill set. I wouldn't have taken the job, but he was pretty open to my skills. And, you know, as you know, there's massive gaps. And I took that job. Um, and then after four and a half seasons, which I absolutely loved, I had an opportunity to work for the FA. Um, so for the England under 15s. Now, the next stage was, as you know, we were part time. So it was only, only 40 days a year. And then the next thing I'm saying is, well, do I want to regret that for the rest of my life, not working with the country's best players? So I basically took the biggest life gamble and found a job for 315 days a year, 325 days a year, which was my business. So it sort of all revolved into, into that. Now, the final story to this, this really is, is that my business is called solutionsmindset.com. And the truth of it is, Yaz, that I had a, I had a vice principal office with vice principal on it but I, I over the vice principal's badge i used to have please come to my office with a solution not a problem because i was just dealing with crap all day and i wanted to reframe teachers thinking that they would come in and not give me more hassle and then reframe kids thinking and not coming and give me more hassle so the 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 uh the business title was so natural to me to call it that um and then yeah here i am now just sort of talking to you and just scamming my way through business Excellent. Yeah, I really, I really like that. Um, look, I want to start right there. Then you know, at the top of that, you said that your skill set was about strategy. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about that and get, you know, really help the listeners and the viewers identify what what you mean by that. So, just from your perspective, what exactly do you mean by strategy, and how does how do we go about you know achieving a, a good strategy within an organisation? So, so um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. The people that know me well. Um, 
and have worked with me see a different side to me. For example, at the moment, I'm not always very respectful to the football industry because I'll say how it is and, and that's not, not likeable to people. But let's go back a step. In the last 18 months, Yaz, football's given itself a massive pat on the back and saying, wow, look, we've got a sporting director. Oh, fantastic. Look at us. And I, I just find it embarrassing because football should have done this 35 years ago. And so that's the first thing is that when I'm talking about strategy, football has no strategy. Football's never had any strategy. Now football's saying, oh, look at what we're doing. So like, well, that's not appropriate. Now football is making massive changes and it still needs to make significantly more changes. But what I mean by strategy is without strategy, you can't change a school. Without strategy, you can't change a business. And without strategy, you can't change a football club. So there was, um, I mean, I'll, I'll sidetrack slightly. There was something in the press last year, managers not doing enough about player welfare. Okay, fine. That, that's someone's opinion. But it's not the manager's issue. It's the CEO's issue. It's the club owner's issue. That as an ethical or moral stance to duty of care for their staff, they are not putting people in place, like myself, at first team level, as compulsory standard of practice. It's got it at academy level, but it hasn't got it at first team level. And obviously, I'm getting, I've got 20 Premier League and Championship clients one-to-one -one that I speak to. Why are they having to come to me and why are they not at the clubs? I think, you know, a key thing, definitely a key point that you made then, I think, you know, just take it back to the top there. It should be obviously, uh, you know, more prevalent across all the clubs. But I want to bring you back to one of the first points you mentioned. You said football doesn't have a strategy. Why do you think it's taken this long for them to start thinking about these sorts of things just generally across the football industry? Because I mean, there's a lot of clubs still out there that still haven't put these things in place. In, in my new book, um, I've got a few golden gems in there and I'm going to share this with you. This is the first person I'm going to share this with and it's called agnotology. And agnotology means the study of cultural-induced ignorance. And the problem with football, it's institutionalised just by itself, right? Because we've got the same thinking, the same behaviours, the same people, the same types of people, not enough diversity. So we've just got the same thing. Now, as you know, diversity comes in many different forms, right? But my lens, coming from an educational background, there's a few people that have always achieved, you know, first team managers have come from teaching, um, Dan Ashworth's come from teaching, uh, so there's a lot of people historically that have, but there's still not people in the right positions to give football a new lens on the world, and we all see the world differently, but also new, more dynamic um, processes, new, more dynamic uh, pedagogy, new, more dynamic um, research-based methodology, which means that we can come from evidence rather than opinion. And I suppose because I'm so opinionated, people often miss my, my, my pedagogical toolbox. So I think that agnotology is the game changer, because if we've always got a lens on am I being ignorant here, is our behaviour ignorant, is our culture ignorant, is our institution ignorant, and so we're always in that headspace of education. So I think that, yeah, that it's, it's been like that because there's never been anyone new, and if they have, they would have been, they would have been probably blown, away, blown out of the water because they, was, they were seen as anarchic. So, yeah, I think, I think, it, I think it's that, institutionalised by itself. No, it's interesting you said it because I think it's almost like when you're trying to go against the, uh, you know, go against the grain, it, people aren't going to, people aren't going to take it to that well. Um, you know, and as you say, it has been institutionalized to a way where there's a, there is a quite a strict one way of thinking and it's been like that for so many years. But I think as time's gone on, we're starting to kind of lean on the other, uh, the other, the other fields that can lend their support to the, the sport industry in particular, obviously within football. So, you know, coming back to type of work that you do with those players, what, what, what does that look like? So, you know, what would a player in the first team environment reaching out to someone like yourself be looking for? That is a good question. Variable things. Um, lack of form. Um, so I, I'm going to sidetrack slightly. I'll split this into professional, personal. So at the start of every session, I say to my clients, do you want to talk about something professional or do you want to talk about something personal or do you want to talk about both? And the reason I say that is because nine clients out of 10 come to me for lack of form. Now, why do they come to Steve Salis for lack of form? Um, 
I've got coaching experience. I've got teaching experience. I've got pastoral experience. Um, and as we said off air, I'm not a sports psychologist, but I've got a degree in physical education and I've got a master's degree in education, educational psychology and leadership. I've also got 35,000 kids in the bank of working with pastoral support. So I think I'm in a very strong position to support people in football. But the actual interesting thing I think that your listeners will know is that often these players come to me and they say, I'm not playing well, right? And then after about 40 minutes of session one, through really informal talking therapy, just like we're talking now, very informal, often it will be something in their personal life which is affecting them on the training ground or affecting them in performance. But all my work is around self-awareness, yes, right? So it's in their blind spots. And probably, yeah, nine players out of 10 have probably got something going on at home, relationships, lack of confidence, uh, inability to communicate with managers. All of this conditioned behaviour from childhood gets to adulthood, and then this manifests itself into poor form. Well, my job is just to join up all the dots, create a story, create a pattern, create a cog, create a methodology for us to start making 1% gains. Um, so very, very common sense approach. I think that will be section one. When it gets down to se session four, five, and six, I'm doing rag ratings, red, amber, greens, tech, tap, fizz, and psych. Players are leading it. My youth athletes are doing presentations to their parents on Zoom with a PowerPoint and it's methodical. You know, the parents are loving my work because I'm bringing something like rigorous to the process. You know, it's like a school and that's a teacher in me. So I think, again, very bespoke to my clients, um, very individual. Um, some clients want me to help them like with a quick punch and a quick nudge and something quick. Some clients, um, I coach. You know, if I know I've got a longer term with a client, if I know I've got, two to three months of a client, I, I can change my style to, to coach, which then enables them to find solutions themselves over the medium and long term. So, yeah, very literally, there isn't an answer to how. Um, it's more a case of what, what their requirements are. Mm. No, really interesting that you know and as you're talking a lot of that resonates with me because in in the way that i actually coach and work with my players you know people often asking well what's your philosophy and i say well i don't really have a playing philosophy but i do have a coaching one and the coaching one is this is i want to work with my players in a way that i can help them achieve um or get to a point of interdependence uh rather than fully fully dependent or fully independent rather in that if they become fully independent, we're leaving them to their own devices and they're just going to crack on with it. But there's always going to, as you said, there's going to be blind spots. Whereas if you're interdependent, in my opinion, and the way I look at it is almost right, you've got the competence, you've got the confidence to actually go and do these things alone. However, we've supported you in, the, in developing your social and psychological skills that you, that you can actually then reach out to others where necessary, recognising that you might need support, recognising that you have some information that you want to offload and be confident enough to like, share that information or, or probe on those those uh, fear questions or queries that you may have. So that self-awareness piece is, is, is a massive part of the, the way I kind of work in my, in my coaching. Now, for me, it's about developing a player who can not just be more conscious about what they're doing, but also what they're thinking and how they're feeling about different things. Now, how how alike or how different is that from your perspective what the self-awareness piece is for you in your way where you work with the people that you work with? Um, it's, not, it's listen what you've just mentioned why are we doing what we're doing how are we doing it what we're trying to achieve and my work yeah as i know we just met recently but is it has as many questions as it has answers and the reason it has is because i can't have all the answers i spoke to a player at last night championship youth teamer very, very bright, X-factor bright, almost getting lost in the system because he challenges everything. Coaches look, see him as defiant. It's incredible. He's, he, he's hyper-intelligent, this boy. He's seen as disruptive. He just wants to know he's inquisitive. And the nice thing about my work is that when the agent called me and said, Steve, this, this kid, and I've known the agent 30 years, he said, this kid was like you at the same age, which is probably an indirect compliment, right? Like, and I'm like, what do you mean? He just said he's like, just wants to know everything about everything and wants to challenge about why, but he's not a bad kid. He just, he's perceived as bad. Now that, that's another classic example of football where football coaches know loads about football, right? Like 11 v 11, not in a rude way. Yes, I said this on a million podcasts. That's the easy bit. 
Like football hasn't changed. Like this thing called the half space, it's a space running it. If it's occupied, go and run somewhere else. Like let's not over overcomplicate coaching. But what coaches traditionally don't know is about strategy, leadership, emotional intelligence, soft skills, kindness, empathy, sports psych, educational psychology. Like the list goes on. So the FA, Scottish FA, I bless them, obviously working with them now. All of these, all of these coaching courses are just so coaching heavy. Now I know coaching has moved on. I know it has. It'd be foolish to think that, that now the DLs playing through the thirds and you know formational changes and all this, you know, all this epistemic stuff of football. But at the same time, we've all got to get a grip. Like me coming from education into football, like education's miles ahead, Jazz. Like it's so far ahead, it's scary. And let me explain why in a teaching and learning context. The rigour, people's obsession with being on the grass, obsession with being on the grass. You know, th there has to be a change. Now, we know, just so your listeners don't take what I say literally, if you've got a group two hours a week, of course you're going on the grass. If you've got a group four hours a week, you're probably going to go on the grass a little bit less, but, you know, mainly. If you've got a full-time programme, which I've worked in, there's this obsession with grass, but not how we learn about what we do when we're on the grass. So meta learning, you know, great for your for your learners to look up. You know, meta learning is learning how to learn. Who's doing that? No one's doing that. So not, not in a rude way, they're not. You know, I don't say that in an arrogant way. They're just not doing it. So unless people start doing this and connecting with giving the kids a toolbox to learn, then teach football. So anyway, I'm probably going around the houses a little bit. That's the detail that should be happening in football clubs. Sure, no, it's a great point, and I think not enough people do look, you know, make an attempt to learn how to learn on. I think that often comes from, in my opinion, those that maybe are conscious about how they're learning, uh, similar to the young man that you just mentioned there, you know, they're probably in a situation where they're, they're being uh, almost made to feel inferior because of the questions they're asking. Like, Actually, no, I just want to know, know why we're doing what we're doing, because I'm like that myself. You know, for me, it's no matter what it is, you know, if you're going to get me to do something, tell me why I'm doing it. So that, you know, if in the future I have to do something like this again, I understand the reason behind it. So I can make that decision for myself that actually rather than coming to you, I'm just going to, all right, I know why I have to do that. So next time that situation comes up, I'm just going to go and do that because I know that's what it's for sort of thing. Um, whereas if you never quite explain anything to me, I'm, I've always got a question in my head thinking, well, why are we doing this? And it, it, eventually I'm just going to stop doing it because I'm thinking, I don't see the reason for this. But if you give me a reason, you help me understand why I'm doing it, then yeah, I'm, I'm more, I'm, you know, I'm more, I'm more, likely to want to do it and off my own back as well so I Let, think let's look at this sorry to interrupt you but let's look, let's just touch on this right let's look at the skill let's let's call this a skill to be able to say gaffer i don't understand that if we i do keynote speeches across europe across the world on mindset leadership behaviors culture whatever i've got grown adults in, in conference rooms that are scared to put their hand up because they're a little bit, oh, flipping out, this is a bit awkward. Why are we not coaching that? I, th I, think, there's, I think there's two parts. I think it's one, that element of it. But I think the other part is actually when we're asking them or we're giving them a platform, especially in the first instances where, no, actually, if you've got a question, let me know. That, that thing, that piece itself is, you know, it's almost, it's so... Uh, well, maybe more common now than it has been in recent years, but actually I've have had plenty of situations where I've gone into an environment. I'm saying to the to the players or the, whoever I'm working with, right? If you've got a question, feel free to ask me. Uh, and I've almost got to kind of drum that point in again and again and again over the first few weeks because they're not used to being allowed to ask a question. Because well, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're joining up a bit here. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, in the norm, the norm is right. You're not going. You just have to listen to what I say and do what I say. And you can't ask any questions about it, even if it is just to clarify your understanding. Now, you know, I, I kind of go with this one. Well, actually, where as the as the coach, whose responsibility is it for that message to be understood? Is it the player that needs to understand the message, or is it the coach that needs to ensure the message has been understood? Now, in my opinion, too many coaches give a message are not sure if it's understood. And they crack on. And when the player or the, the athlete, whoever that is, doesn't get it right, then I say, well, well we talked about that. Yeah, you, you, you spoke about it, but I never quite understood what you were talking about. 
And because your environment isn't where I feel comfortable enough to come and ask you about what you've spoken about, when I left in this, I'm over here and you're over here, we never quite come to the same point of understanding, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. I, I, um, my friend, really good friend, Harry Watling, who's at West Ham, um, we go for a walk at the moment in lockdown every Saturday. Um, he buys me a takeaway coffee, believe it or not, because we can't get a coffee anywhere and gets it delivered and we, and we talk life. And I was talking to him last week about black, white and grey and simplifying language and just saying, Gaffer, that's a great moment. That's a great moment, particularly for foreign players where English is an additional language, particularly for including purposes, speaking and listening. So, you know, teaching players the word grey um, would be a little, little, great little nugget for your listeners. I think that it simplifies it. The next thing I was I was going to refer to was, was, um, was your first point. I can't, I'm sort of lost on that bit now. Um, it was just around... When we're, when we're creating a process of, of teaching and learning again around, around the grey moments, how do, we get, how do we get alignment and frequency between the coach and the player? Now, you've, you've sat there and gone, right, and I see coaches like this all the time that say, yeah, ask me questions, ask me questions, but players still don't ask any questions. Mm. So th there's, there's a layer and there's always the top layer. And then, you know, when I say about teaching and learning and the differences, teachers would have awkward silences. And they would delve and delve and delve and delve. And they would wait. And if they're not going to wait, they then scaffold questioning. And then they give the kids thinking time. Yes, when have you ever seen a coach give a player thinking time? And so I, I come across as this nutcase in football. But like, if people want my knowledge, they, they can have it. It's, I'm giving it to you now for nothing. But you've got to go and find this knowledge. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go and do thinking time in the pissing rain in the winter because you need to get going, your sessions need to be fast-paced, blah, blah, blah. But maybe, I, I sound like, sometimes I'm crazy. Like, to me, this is what coaching and teaching and why they're different. Mm, mm. You know, like, just because, just to summarise this, just because you taught it doesn't mean to say they learnt it, which is exactly what you were, this is the thing I forgot. That's exactly what you were saying earlier. 100%, and I feel like there's so many times where, I mean, you know, certainly, you know, one of my recent roles working in coach education, working with coaching, they talk about, oh, yeah, well, well, oh, we, you know, we want our players to be able to do this, but they don't quite. I said, well, okay, right. The biggest problem I see is you've got so many coaches telling the players what they want to see. And that's fantastic. You've got clarity on what you want to see. But you don't have any clarity, or at least you haven't demonstrated that, in how you want them to get there. So if I don't understand how to get there in the first place, and you're telling me where to go, I understand that bit. But if I don't understand how I get there and you can see that I can't get it, you need to give me some more information. You need to help me get that process right. Now, it doesn't mean there's one process that works. There could be many processes, but you need to give me some or a process or some reference point that I can work from to say, ah, I get it. I see how they're getting from point A to point B. I see the logical steps in between it. You know, so it, it, and you talked there about how coaching has moved on. And yes, it has, I think, in some ways, I think it's it's moved on a lot, but also moved on in very different ways. So I think where it was probably when you you know when you when you were finishing your career and when you went through your coaching qualifications, um, certainly when I did mine, it was very much technical focused, which I think you know we're lacking now a little bit, um, and it's become a lot more holistic. And I think that's fantastic, but I think a lot of people use the holistic idea to kind of shy away from actually some of the detail that is required and that's probably where some of the breakdown comes in terms of providing that information and actually teaching the game in, in a way. And, you know, I guess I'm interested from your perspective then, when you're now working with those athletes, how much of that stuff there is important to you to kind of talk about when it comes to the technical aspect, or are you just solely focusing on actually their self-awareness? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? How are they getting through this? And what are the, what are the triggers and mechanisms that we can kind of work with to kind of overcome some of these things? Um, yeah, firstly, I don't, obviously most people know me, I've managed, you know, I've managed in non-league, it was Jimmy Bullard's assistant manager, right? And I think that my super strengths, if I go back to first team football, will be, you know, number two, number three type person. I'm a good buffer for someone. I'm very strategic and very, very methodical. And people that know me, I mentor professional managers now and, my work is very strategic. You put me with a bunch of players these days, my coaching would be really average. 
Um, you know, we've all got super strengths, and I think that my super strengths are not aligned with with coaching anymore. I mean, I, I got wet, mate, for 17 years teaching PE, like in the rain, and I don't want to do it anymore. I don't, I don't love coaching enough to do it for a living. So that's my my why, really, for not wanting to get, you know, soaked in the rain for a living. I just don't want to do it. Um, it's not something I love. So I think that the players will come to me for a blended approach to development. Um, yeah, I can tell them that they're not receiving the ball on the back foot and not playing forwards enough and they're not forward facing. And, you know, if you're a forward, your final third entries are not good enough and you're not getting enough touches in the opposition's box. And, you know, the players will come to me with data and numbers and sprint data and distance covered and all these things. That's fine. And I think that data is really important, but data should give you as many questions as it does answers. So I think one of my super strengths is because I have done all everything in the game apart from strength and conditioning. And it's funny that I, I do, there are, there are things I'm rubbish at. I don't claim to know anything about S&C, right? And anyone that says to me anything, I just don't know anything. Um, the only thing I know is probably fitness and freshness. I love that term. I'll use that for my business, my business CEOs that where I say they're really fit, but they're not fresh. So you can steal that one as well for staff. because It's really important that staff feel fresh at work and often they don't. So, yeah, really, my work is just very blended. And it's I can't answer it because it's very bespoke. Mm. You know, I'm not the person that's going to be going out there doing technical practice practices. I go and get someone to do that for me. So the agencies now have got, um, they've got people like me. They've got, they've got technical one-to-one coaches. So I'm the sort of person really has that joins it all up and then creates a plan for the player moving forwards. Right. So then on that, on that note, then you've got a player that comes to you now. What kind of things are you considering as part of that plan? Um, Well, that's all led on collaboration and led on self-awareness. They will go away and do the rag rating you know, green super strengths, amber's okay, red's area for development, and then and then we just work off the rag. So it just depends where we're at, but the, you know, we've got a plan straight away. Now the rag isn't fixed in its form; it's very fluid, very methodical. It might be that I'm work on player with you know cognitive behavioural therapy, which thoughts, emotions, behaviours. It might be that. Um, it might be I do a bit of NLP with them. What, whatever I choose to do, it's my work is teaching. Hmm. I'm teaching these players how to get better now i'm going to just touch on something you mentioned earlier you mentioned teaching 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 but in in education we call it teaching and learning Mm. and there's always this missing learning word in in coaching this is this is word that just goes missing like just because i taught it doesn't mean to say they learned it and we're coaching this stuff and they're like right well where's the rigor where's the meat to the bone for these players where is the evidence streams that you can evidence that these players have learned it Right, so I'm going to sidetrack slightly here. Well, Millwall, I brought in player reviews. Mm. And that's very common now. Player-led, core values, commitment, ownership, responsibility towards their own journey. And towards the end of my time there, I got told, oh, these aren't working, these aren't working. But that's where coaches, yes, are obsessed with outcome mm. and not process. As if a 16-year-old's going to be good with a clicker and delivering. But it's not about them being good at delivering. It's about when they're 26, they can deliver with a clicker because they've done it a thousand times. Yeah. And football, in summary, is obsessed with, out- obsessed with outcome. And therefore, I suppose my, you know, I'm going to shut up in a minute, I promise. But if we work backwards, and this is where young coaches probably need a bit of help here. It's very hard for young coaches to work backwards because they haven't got the experience. It's very hard. I remember starting lessons as a trainee PE teacher with my lesson plan in my pocket, thinking I cannot remember what's on my lesson plan. Yeah, I just can't remember what's on it. I used to have it in my pocket, or I'd have my formal lesson plan, I'd give it to my university lecturer, I'd have it on notes and a bit of paper in my pocket. When the kids were on task, I'd just be having a look, what am I doing next? Now, within reason, you don't have to do that anymore. So I think it's a lot easier to work backwards when you've got it in the bank. It, right? I mean, I've worked with Abir Eze, I've worked with Junior Stanislas, I've worked with you know Championship players, Premier League players. So it's a lot easier for me because I've seen the end point. Mm-hmm. And then I can work. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Backwards. You know, I've also worked with thousands of suppliers that haven't made it, right? So let's be real there. Then I have to reflect if could I do better with these players? What have I done? So does that make sense? Like, you know, people, yeah, it's, it's teaching learning is very great. Yeah, I, definitely. So I guess, you know, coming back to the, you know, the top of the, the top of the conversation, you talked there about your super, superpower, your super strength being strategy. So we're not going into an organization now. What are the things that I need to start to think about when I'm implementing a new strategy? What are the, what does that look like for you? You go into a new organization, you talk there about going into Millwall and, you know, bringing in things like the development plans and, that's become, you know, kind of a, a generic thing across the board now with the EPP and things like that. <clears throat> so, what does that look like when we go into an organization trying to trying to develop a new strategy for the organization uh, and one that's going to support the players holistically, more specifically around the you know the social and psych stuff? What does that look like for you? Um, before we do anything, and this is oh, wow, I'm sure everyone's had a new boss, right? And the new, new boss walks in the door and on the title, their office says, oh, I'm the boss. And they start making changes. And everyone's going, why are they making changes? It's a little bit like politicians. They come in and think they've got to make a change. And so um, someone once told me a, a statement called change the people or change the people. So it goes into a building and he's got to change the people to get him on his bus. Or if they don't change, it change the people. Now, I'm not really having that comment. And the reason I'm not having that comment is because when you walk into a building, what you've got to do before anything, I'm thinking of a school here, right? Got a failing school and I walked into three failing schools, right? And before you do anything, you've got to do a gap audit before you do anything else. You've got to talk to everyone. You've got to find out about everyone. You've got to do just everything it, everything it takes to, to be self-awareness, to be accurate of where you're at and why you're at. Now, the reason I don't like change the people or change the people, yes, in every building I've ever walked in, there's, there's a third, a third, and a third. There's your top third that are always doing the business. There's your bottom third that are, that are ineffective, and there's your middle third that are either doing it or not doing it. And often, often they're not doing it because they're not managed properly and they're not led properly. But what a lot of head teachers do, or a lot of leaders in every business are coming and going, now nah, you lot ineffective, see you later. So that's why I don't agree with change of people, change of people, because actually they might be brilliant people, they just haven't been led properly. So I hope I'm being very methodical here for your listeners about the processes. I don't do anything other than listen, talk. Once we've got that embedded, four weeks, six weeks, genuinely not make any changes. I've gone into schools where staff think we're not doing anything because they, they, they don't see any change. People are like, oh, well, you're the bosses, you want change. No, 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 no. We're going to be strategic with our change. We are going to highlight areas. When you, when you change a school, this is the, I have to tell this story. We had behaviour, we had attention to punctuality, we had safeguarding, we had teaching and learning, we had assessment, we had school culture and we had community, so our seven aspects. That first meeting at one of my schools, we had a meeting at 3.30, kids had left. We were there, this was the first meeting, we were there to 11 o'clock at night, right? With, with Venn diagrams, paper on the wall. What are we gonna do tomorrow? This was a Thursday night going on a Friday. Most people would think, we walk around school and we do X and Y, whatever. We're just around, we're visual. But that Friday, we all walked down the shops, knocked on the doors, apologized to the shopkeepers that are having their stuff nicked out of their, their shop. 
and we connected with our community. We got we got battered by the locals. Your school's rubbish, this, that, and the other. But at that time, we felt that we needed to hook in the school beyond the school just to say sorry. Me and you spoke off air about politicians. I don't want to bring this into politics. That's what I'm talking about, being authentic. Just say the word sorry. Just say, look, we're going to do our best to help you and our community. Now, that day, the teachers are probably thinking, what are you lot doing? You're not, you're not visual. You're not around. But when I say strategy, that's what I mean. Sometimes you've got to take a hit. Sometimes you've got to be, um, you've got to be not keeping everyone happy. And then really the strategy is then looking at short, medium, long term, what we're doing in six weeks, what we're doing in two terms, what we're doing in three terms, you know, what we're doing in two terms time, but really then, then impacting what we then need to do on an operational level. And, that, and that's the key to football improvement, school improvement, business improvement. What does it look like operationally? And that's when you need great soldiers. Yeah. Just on that, the topic that you talked about, the first thing you're going to do is get to know the people, find out who's there, find out what they're about. What are the types of questions that you maybe you're thinking that you're going to, is there a list of or specific questions you've really got in your mind that need to, I need to know the answers to X, Y, Z? Uh, not really. No, I, I think that that would be, that would come across possibly as unauthentic and not real. You know, like if I'm going, if I'm going to see the head chef, you know, head chef's one of the most important people in the school because she needs to know how many kids she's cooking for every day. Mm. So like everyone needs to be spoken to differently. So no standard stuff, what you do, how are you, where you're from, how long you worked here. You know, like for me, I don't like, you know, like you don't, you know I don't have to script that. It's just me connecting. Um, but at a more strategic level, knowing everyone's birthday, knowing their partner's birthday, knowing their kid's birthday, knowing what makes them tick, knowing what their favorite hobby is. That's leadership for me, strategic. No, they're brilliant. And obviously, now, if we're now looking at, you know, you bring in somebody's processes into the into the organisation, how long, you know, does, does, does one wait before they start to say, you know what, actually, maybe we do need to change some of these people? Um, performance management, so very strategic. So not off the cuff, not not made up rules. Obviously, we, we will have an eye on operational if, for example, and this is where leaders just get this wrong, leadership and management, I've got a member of staff that comes to me and the member of staff saying, uh, oh, they keep having issues with behaviour in the classroom. So I could see that as weak. Yeah, many people see that as weak. Oh, yeah, you've got issues. But maybe, but maybe they just need help. So after I've put that support in place, once I've put that support in, so most, most teaching and learning development plans or most support plans for staff for six weeks. We go in and team teach, we go and support. After that support is there, um, we then look at capability. But we've got to put support in before we start saying change the people. And that's where that's where football clubs, businesses, schools are still getting it wrong. Got to support your people. That's what leadership is. Leadership is to serve your people. But people are still looking at leadership as autocratic, I and me, instead of us and we. Mm. And obviously looking at that, you know, to kind of look delve deeper into it, obviously it's understanding the person to understand maybe what kind of leadership style might be best suited for them. So how important is that, you know, as a, as a leader, then you're looking at the different ways in which you can support, um, you know, something you touched on earlier, when you're asking questions, they should present as many questions as there is answers. And the answers should hopefully present more questions. And that's much more about understanding or getting to uh, get into more into more depth around any of the context that you're looking at. So I guess from looking at a, an individual perspective, how important is it from a leader's perspective to actually understand, you know, I can't just lead in one way. I have to be. Um, oh, yeah, of course. Listen, it's fluid. Fluidity is massive. You know, I call it like a, a river of water. You, you've just got to be fluid and you've got to connect. And like, we talk about differentiation in education. So we have to treat all the kids differently. It's no different for, for teachers. The problem with, with differentiating for the kids, yes, and with staff as well, is that you can be seen as inconsistent if you're treating everyone differently. And that's the difficult thing about leadership. So like, oh yeah, we've got a culture, but you're treating him differently to treating her. Very, very hard. And therefore, very, you know, you're, you almost have to be very cute there as a leader because you are treating everyone differently, but actually you've got to be perceived as treating everyone the same. So that, that's, that's probably a great, the greatest nugget I can share with your listeners really is, is that, yeah, you've got to be cute with that one because you can't be seen as inconsistent. But at the same time, you have got to treat everyone differently. So 
you know, that's you know, if you look at if you look at the difficult Maverick players over the years, that's probably where the great managers get it right, don't they? The great managers manage to yeah, enable the the Mavericks to to um get away with maybe a few things that they would normally do. And just on that, you know, I, I, I great opportunity for me to kind of drop in this one that I, I use myself and I always say to the people that I'm working with, well, you need to, when you're working with a group of players or whoever you're working with, you need to create an environment where people are, I, I, I felt as if they're being treated fairly, but not necessarily equally. Because equally suggests that everyone requires the same approach, in my opinion. Whereas, you know, if it's fairly that, okay, there's some parameters that we're going to work within, but it's going to be bespoke for everyone within that, within those parameters. So, how much you know? How much? How conscious are you then of of maybe the social construction of the environment when now, I guess, approaching these situations? If that makes sense, I think again, it's about education. Like education of people below you is massive. I said to a assistant manager of a championship club on Tuesday over a two-hour conversation, "Why are clubs not?" Why is the sporting director not putting out informative videos to the fans and explaining what is going on in the football club and why it's going on in the football club? From what perspective? And therefore, everyone... say that again. From what perspective? In, in, should should they be should they be you know covering certain information? But to educate the supporters on the reasons why decisions are being made, the supporters of the lifeblood of football club, why is there not a transparency from the top, middle and bottom? You're not going to reveal warts and all. That's not, that's what I mean. I mean, educating the supporters, this is our finances. We've got to sell this player because, and giving them clarity so we don't get the Twitter warriors. Why, why is that any different? Because it's about education. And the reason people behave inappropriately or you haven't been fair is because they're not given the education about why we're doing what we're doing if you don't like it i've explained to you there's the bus and go on a different bus but educating the people about our lens on the world as leaders as well as your lens and alignment between the two lenses to create harmony uh, cohesiveness uh, and and what I call a truly great culture, and a truly great culture is how your weakest link feels, by the way, not how your strongest link feels. So I think that it doesn't necessarily answer your question because it's a, a little bit hard to answer. You know, it's all in context again to your environment, your people, your 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 you know your current way. It could be a culture. My brother lives in Malaysia. You know, the culture in Malaysia is completely different to the UK. Mm-hmm. So he's having to mm-hmm. learn that and, and understand that that cultures can really affect behaviour. Mm. So kind of just kind of you know to to link in what you were saying previously and what you've just mentioned there now then you, know, you talked there about the, the the culture is about how the least was it the least important uh, your weakest link yes yeah, the least skilled the weakest the weakest link in the environment feels so in terms of that you know linking that to some of the strategy stuff that you talked about would you mind just going through some steps in terms of what you would do to develop that culture to support everyone within it and whether you're at the weakest link or considered being the weakest link or whether you're the strongest link and having that environment where everyone feels that they're inclusive in that. Um, I mean, this is really what my business is, is the, my business model is I, I still can't get my head around schools are still doing teacher training on teaching, learning, assessment, safeguarding, but they're not doing any teacher training on group dynamics and how we create a we, not me culture. Football clubs, exactly the same. Businesses exactly the same. Very, 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 um, very working around processes and concepts instead of actually creating the glue to connect people. So yeah, I mean, there's all the standard stuff. I mean, America brought out something like 360 feedback in the 90s, where feedback was given from everybody and every angle, and the leaders were given angles. You know, the honesty of what the person on the on the ground floor felt. That would be one strategy. Um, I think 360 feedback is highly effective in real high performance cultures because people just say how it is. The problem with 360 feedback is people don't like it because the, the people are telling the truth. Um, and again, but I would only do 360, I've, I've done 360 feedback in high performance places, um, not in low performance places. 
Um, we use things like Jahari Window, um, which is like a great self-awareness task, Lencioni model, which looks at trust, accountability, vulnerability results. So lots of, lots of again, strategic changes, looking at performance management, um, looking at mentoring and coaching, looking at um, lots of feedback streams. So feedback stream comes through line management. So my middle managers need to tell me what's happening on the ground level through their line management meetings. That gets put in minutes, that gets put on, on, on systems. I then read this documentation to then find out what's happening at the ground level. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. On, on, in, in big institutions where there's maybe different buildings, that has to be done. In a school, sometimes, yeah, again, that depends on the size of the institution. Mate. It's, it's, you know, it depends. Like A lot of people say to me, football, football's trying to take business, but football's a lot smaller. I, at Millwall, we only had like 20 full-time players in the youth team and 20, 20 in, the, in the 23s. Yeah. So you don't, you don't have to work like that. You can be much more operational in a football club, actually. But people think, you know, yeah. So it depends. It just depends on 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 joining the dots up. It, yeah, the size of the, yeah. In summary, the size of the company or business depends on the style that you use. Mm. Now, Stephen, obviously, there's a, there's, you know, I'm sure there's there's so many more things that we can kind of go into in a lot of de- lot of detail around it because it, you know, this this space of designing and. and a high performance culture in particular is is vast. There's only there's loads of little subtleties, and everyone's got different aspects on how they might go about doing that. So if you know from yourself to maybe others, other people working in a similar space, they've got different strategies and things that they've done, and things that they've recognised that works for them based on their own experiences. So for, for you, then you know just to kind of tell things off, then what will be some of the, the biggest things that you would be doing, or the most important things for you when you're going into that environment? That you're looking to kind of make a trend, looking to make that change and shift that culture within the environment. Uh, I got asked that question last week. I had a, had a conversation with about a job at a Premier League club, um, and they said the same thing. What would I do? Uh, I would listen in the first six weeks, as you know, wouldn't do anything. Probably wouldn't send any emails. Just talk to people. Just connect. Um, then I'd be driving a culture of self awareness. That would be my, probably my main, that would be my short, medium and long-term planning. Where are you at? What are you brilliant at? And can you be a 10 out of 10 of what you're brilliant at? Now, it might be on a strategic level. I've got an under-14s coach that's brilliant with an under-9s coach, but the under-14s coach thinks if he goes up the rankings, then he's going to be more important. But it might be that the under-14s coach needs to know that he's the best under-9s coach. Mm. How do I then influence that under 14s coach to then to then say, look, you are the best person in this football club under nines? So, so again, self awareness, understanding people's why. I've got businesses now on their office wall. Everyone knows everyone else's why. Yes. Mm. Some people's why is they want to be first team manager. Some people's why is they want to pay their bills for their family. Some people's why is they want to get home at five o'clock so they want to be around their kids. Some people's why is they want to be slower on their journey. Some people's why is they want to go bang, 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 which you see a lot of young people wanting to do without doing the yards. So unless we get people's why, then I'm not able as a leader to firstly understand what they're trying to achieve my lens is not their lens. I need to create alignment between where we're going. They need to get on the cultural bus. Yeah. So where we go in. And that's probably where when we say change the people, like I have to ask them, not tell them, this is where we are going. What do you think we need to achieve? This is the direction of the leaders. You need to get on our bus, please. Yeah. You know, and I'm saying this not in a patronizing way to model the language that you would use. Like I'm not being autocratic at all. This is where we're going. I really need you to really get on our bus. We need your skills. Mm. So aligning super strengths, but aligning that comes from self-awareness. Self-awareness comes from knowing what I'm good at. As leaders, we then align all of the great cogs to make this process and this bus become more effective. So a very, I think, methodical approach. I think um, a holistic approach. I think a personable approach as well. And... And almost not being, um, you know, not taking any emotion out of it, but actually being quite methodical in our processes to make sure that, you know, like if, if there's a problem, you know, I, I say this to lots of businesses. Yes, this is the thing that comes back on the Scottish Pro Licence more than anything else. They say, Salis, I love that one. And I say, what's that? And they say, 
everything I say between 7.30 in the morning and 5.30 at night is always professional and it's never personal. Mm. I've got a chapter mm -hmm. on that. I've got a chapter on that in my new book. If yes, if everyone said that, if you clip one thing from this from this podcast, do it. This this is the one. Because if everyone just said that word at the start of everyone's journey in every job, it's always professional, never personal. Yes, me and you could have a ding dong, right? And we could we could we could perceive it one way, and you could drive home and go, Steve Salas, I don't like him. He said that. Well, actually, no. Six years ago, I said every every conversation was a professional. And suddenly, you got in the bank. This is what I'm talking about: strategy. You got in the bank, right? And then, and then, because we've got such consolidated relationships, mm. now I have to share this. Dave Liverpool, my best mate in football, is just the manager at Cardiff. Yes, we disagreed on stuff every day, every day, and everyone go flipping out. Those two are quite fiery, but but we're best mates. Yeah. How does that work? Well, I think it's just like you said, you know, the, the, the boundaries have been set, the expectations have been set. Actually, this is not personal. And I think, you know, I, I, I can relate to that a little bit because um, I, I, so in some of the stuff that I've done and I've tutored in the past and I'm, I'm quite direct with my approach when I'm a tutor. Um, you know, I'm, I can be flexible in, in understanding different ways of thinking. But then if I, you know, one of the things you talked about, you, you know, when, you, when you're lacking some experience, you can't, almost reverse engineer the process you, you've got you, you can only see what's in front of you in some ways so based on my experiences and the way that i've learned and the way that i've seen other people deliver right you know i've got i've got a fair idea of how i think is the most effective and efficient way of working um yes there's different ways of working but we only get we only got access to you for a certain amount of time outside of this environment i'm not i'm not, I'm not really a resource for you unless you're reaching out to me so I often ask, you know, learners that I'm working with, right, well, this is how what I feel would be the best approach. However, here's another way of doing it. So my approach is right. I'm just going to be direct with you, unsolicited feedback around what it is that you're doing, because I believe that's going to take you out of here and put you over here as quick as possible. And you might not like the feeling of that, but I'm letting you know that's what it might feel like so that it's not come as a surprise. However, if you don't feel like that's an approach for you, that's fine too. But this is my recommendation and here's why. Now, the amount of people I've, and, and I've, I've learned this over time because before it was just unsolicited with no ad, a, a advanced kind of warning or anything like that. And then I thought, okay, there's a bit of resistance here. But why? Because it's helping them. Um, but now, you know, I've kind of shifted to that. Well, it's almost like a disclosure. Uh, this is how this is this is my this is my thoughts this is what I think and this is why I feel the way I feel and now I'm getting more people saying well actually do you want, I, I, would you mind doing it this way a little bit okay fine but the amount of people that have then gone down this path where I haven't given them solicited feedback or the unsolicited feedback and haven't given them the advanced warning initially their first thing was yes I'm not too sure about that yes guy but actually a few weeks later those same people have come to me and said you know what yes actually what you did there really helped me yeah. I didn't realize. And I, I can relate to everything you said there. Everything. Mm. And it, it's, it's very it's, similar to my approach. Well, but my, my thing is this is what, my job is to get you from point A to point B. It's great that you can go on so many different experiences within that. But in this context, my job is to help you become a better coach. Now, if I'm taking an approach which I feel is going to make that process longer, then I'm not being effective in my job. Mm. because what's going to take you now six months if I don't say some of these things we could solve within two weeks if I do because now the six months that you're going to the, the, you know the following five and a half months that you spend doing the work you're actually doing it on the right track rather than finding the track to be on if that makes sense um now yes that's just my opinion and based on my own experiences but at the moment that's all you've got because I'm the one in front of you um so you know, I, th I think it's important that you know you do kind of have those conversations where it is giving that feedback. And I think it is, it, I think this is the, the key part. I was having a conversation with someone about this the other day, about the, the power of unsolicited feedback. And I think one of the key things that I'm going to take from what you've just said there today is that nugget of anything I say in this window is professional. It is professional. It's not, I mean, I don't gain anything, whether you pass this qualification or whether you don't, I don't. But my job is to help you become better at what you're doing. And this is how I feel I'm going to do it.
And these are the parameters I'm setting out to you in front. And I'm also giving you a door to walk through to say, actually, yes, I'm okay with that. Or actually that door doesn't look that appealing. So I want to go through this one instead. But also explaining okay. to you, yeah. what the, you know, what the what your expectation should then be if you go through that door instead. So and under that, but, but and under that, and under that underpin though, it's just what I talk about scaffolding. A lot of young people, London kids, street kids, whatever you want to call them, city kids, they haven't got that, they haven't got that emotional capability to be able to do that, right? So I think to the side of that, you need to be looking at behaviour for learning, which is what you've just described, but not labelled it, behaviour for learning, because it's not behaviour management. It's how behaviour impacts learning. End of story. I hate behaviour management. It's a prehistoric term. And the next thing underneath that is they need to get on, on the bus if you need to scaffold a learning process and they're learning to learn stuff for them so they can learn to be able to be more effective. So I think that I agree. The expectation has to be set, but a lot of these kids can't get there. Then that's when, that's when you know, you need to be a chameleon or you need different staff or you know, if you're doing it on your own, it's a lot harder. If you're doing it on your own because you've got to be good cop, bad cop, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting you say it because I often find myself, when I'm delivering with someone else, I tend to be the, a bit more of the bad cop. Um, and that's not just you know not in just in, co in in an education setting, but it's also when I'm coaching as well. If I'm working with other people, I tend to be the bad cop because I don't, I don't want the lines to be blurred. I've got clear expectations. This is what I want from you, and you may not like my approach. So I, I find myself I don't know whether it's coincidence or you know you just gravitate towards working with people who want to be the more the good cop. It's not that I don't uh, because I see the value in it. Uh, you know you need that you need balance in in that respect, but. Um, it's interesting because when I'm when I'm maybe a lead coach in an environment, I tend to be the bad cop. When I'm not the lead coach, I tend to be the good cop. Um, so I don't know whether you know, kind of, kind of, you know, roundabout way, maybe comes back to some of the stuff that you were talking about earlier, where you know, being a number two or number three, um, you're almost a sounding board sometimes. And I think when you are a sounding board, you have to be a bit more of the good cop, don't you? Um, yeah. And in summary, again, I, I write this in my book: to be a good leader, a great leader, you have got to be a good follower. Yeah. And people miss that. People see leader and got to leave. No, you haven't. And that, and that, yeah, I, I could batter some football managers. I'm not going to do that today. We've had a really positive podcast, but like they just don't follow sometimes because they think leadership is I've got to make all decisions and like that. What's the point of having a leadership team or your assistant manager or you know? There's this all this all this you know we call it flat hierarchy. You know, there should be much more flat hierarchy at a football club. You know, the players like turn up and they train harder because the manager turns up. That's weird. Like, why do they not? Why do they not train harder when the assistant manager turns up? Like, mm. like what? What is that? That's only the environment and social science that's constructed those those processes. Oh, managers turn up, we've got to train harder. But if if everyone saw the assistant manager as equal, then then the man the players would train harder. But like weird, I just find that I just find that crazy. Well, look, look, Steve, look, it's, I'm sure we can go on for hours and hours about these things. <laughs> Thank you again for your time today. And it's been a really enjoyable conversation for me. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of golden nuggets for the listeners to kind of latch on to. Um, just one final question. Obviously, now, you know, um, now that we've finally got this one over the line, and you're sitting here in front of me over Zoom rather, you know, you, you've almost self-inducted yourself into the coaches network. So what's one message that you want to kind of leave the rest of the network with? Uh I'm going to leave two, if that's all right. Um, love everyone, hate no one. That would be my first bit of advice to youngsters. Just just keep loving, not hating. Um, and then genuinely be we, not me. Yeah. You know, genuinely be that person. Genuinely be that that we, not me. Like that, that is the biggest bit of advice I can give everyone. Right? Because if, you, if you've got that, people will open doors for you for life. Yeah. What more can it get? Can't get simpler than that. Well, brilliant. That's fantastic. Well, but Steve, just on a final note then, um, you know, like I said, it's been a very enjoyable conversation for me and I'm sure it has been for the listeners and viewers as well. Um, if they have any questions either around anything that we've discussed today or beyond, um, whether that be something else that you, you know, you offer outside of this, is there somewhere they can get in touch with you to do that? Yeah, well, sorry, I'm fine. I've actually got that. There we go, somewhere. There it is. Like that, there's my book, Educating Football. Um, it's got a little picture of Ebira Eze on there. It's playing for Palace, a player I work with since he was little. So, yeah, solutionsmindset.com is my business. Um, get my book from there too. LinkedIn, Steve Salis, uh, Twitter at Stephen Salis, and Instagram is Solutions Mindset. So, that's pretty much it. But thank you, mate. I've really enjoyed it. Us two could probably talk for about 10 hours 
on the, on this development stuff. Uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation, actually. It's um, pushed me and nudged me into the right direction. I really hope that your listeners get a lot from it, mate. Likewise. Thank you very much, Steve. Take care. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.